Hello, and welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga, and today we're joined by literary manager and producer Jake Wagner. Jake studied screenwriting and film at the University of Michigan before moving to Los Angeles to work in the entertainment industry. He began his career as a manager at Energy Entertainment and is currently head of management at Bender Spink. According to SpecScout, Jake was involved in an impressive eight spec sales last year, which puts him in rarefied air, second among all reps, managers, and agents in 2013. And he takes a few minutes in between spec sales to join me today. How are you, Jake? Hey, how's it going? I'm well, thanks. Good, good. Um, so maybe you can just at the, give us a little bit of your background, how you got started in the industry and why you chose representation. Sure. I, you know, I, I loved movies. I, I took a lot of film courses in college at the University of Michigan, but, but I didn't quite know exactly what I wanted to do. All I knew is I wanted to be in the movie business. So, you know, everyone said, just get out there say yes to every opportunity and you'll figure out what you want to do, you know, by, by just doing a lot of different things. So that's what I did. I just came out right after graduation and worked as a production assistant on commercials and worked at MTV as an in-house production assistant and worked as a waiter, <laughs> worked as a runner. You know, I, I just, I, I, I wanted to kind of like, see everything and and especially kind of get on set i thought set is where i wanted to be um but what i kind of realized after a few years is i didn't want to be on set anymore (laughs) unless i was sitting in a tall boy director chair with a latte in video village so (laughs) i was like how do i get there um but you know i eventually ended up just kind of being a script reader for a straight to dvd horror movie type company that do the like the, you know the frankenfishes of the world and right. the scarecrows and those those type of things and i started reading scripts reading a lot of scripts and uh cold calling agents and managers and i what i found out quickly is that managers were easier to get a hold of mm-hmm. and they sent better quality material huh? um and so you know kind of doing lunches, doing drinks with the managers, kind of really met a bunch of managers. And I was like, huh, these guys are like me, you know? And I met a manager named Brooklyn Weaver. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, he just, we hit it off and started hanging out socially and just talking every day and trading material. And he's just eventually said, hey, I, I could use a young guy like you, a young lit manager. And after kind of a six-month courtship, I decided to, to give it a shot and just started reading scripts on his couch, essentially. <laughs> um, now, that's according to Spec Scout, actually, you were involved in no less than eight spec sales last year, which actually puts you second place among reps, right behind Brooklyn, mm-hmm. actually. Right behind um, my mentor, Brooklyn right, Weaver. <laughs> but, but that's among managers and agents, so that's pretty darn impressive. Um, yeah. But what I have to say is um, Bender Spink obviously started as a management production firm, um, and but they became really much more of a production company. They became much more known for produ- production uh, than mm-hmm. management. And that's when I guess you came over from Film Engine, if I'm not mistaken, to sort of revive the management division at Bender Spink. Um, so wh- what was the challenge of going from a management production firm to a production firm back to sort of really a management production firm? Look, there was never a challenge per se for me. I've been, you know, I've been building my client list over the years. You know, no matter what 
banner or shop you're at, mm-hmm. you know, really you work for the clients. You know, the clients are kind of the the boss. The clients are the ones you're working for. So it, it never really, sure, being in a, a, a reputable company with a track record is very helpful in many ways, and it's good to have stability and overhead and all that. But there was never really an adjustment or anything difficult about going from company to company and running the management because really, you know, the clients came with me no matter where I went. And your day-to-day with the clients, your your days aren't that different. You know, you're, yeah, you're sitting in a different office and you're sitting, you know, in a different part of town, but you you have the same clients. So it's never really challenged. And then I, I looked at it as a great opportunity here because I felt that Bender Spink was one of those companies that like when I first came to town was very hot and had a big brand and a big name and right. really paved the way and kind of of management and managing producing and taking management and, and creating a production company out of that. And so, um, so for me who had always kind of like just been a, a run and gun type, like never been in a big company. I looked at it as an opportunity to take kind of my hustle and my, my abilities and, and partner with a big name brand that could only bring more opportunity for both of us, for them and for me. Right. So. Well, and obviously you've had great success just in the, you know, year. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, and it's because it, it's also a personality and kind of like overall, like way we look at the business with okay. JC and Chris, you know, their, their business was born on finding new writers, breaking new writers, selling a lot of specs, right. you know, producing some of those specs you know, just selling some of those specs and then, and then really like guiding those careers and hatching big writers. And that's my game as well. And so it's like, you know, it's a meeting of the minds. I mean, my style, uh, is, is their style as well. So it's just a great fit. Right. Right. Now what goes into deciding, um, in terms of producing material versus solely representing it and getting it out there? You know, good question. Everyone, I think, has a different answer or a different kind of set of rules. Mm-hmm. The way I personally see it, and I can only speak to like the, the way I kind of do it with my clients, right. is if it's if it's an idea or a, a piece of you know a book IP that I lock down with the client, and we kind of cook up together, or an idea we hatch together. Or look, if it's if it's their idea or my idea, the point is if it's something we cook up together from the ground floor, um, and it's something that I feel like I'm very passionate about, and that I want to help find a director and and get some private money for it, or I want to I want to see it till the end in the kind of the studio development process because I really believe in the project. Then then I talk to the client and I say, what do you think? What like, is this something maybe we could produce together or, or I could be attached to produce. I, I have the, the conversation up front and mm-hmm. I, I only do that when I feel like I'm very passionate about the material or it's going to be a lot of added value to have me in the mix. Um, you know, I'm not the type of guy that just attaches to everything and anything. Right. Um, I'm a manager first. I really am. And I think if you asked, you know, any of my clients, they, they would, they would echo that. So, sure. but look, you know, you do you you in this marketplace and this the way the kind of the state of the business, you do have to look for producing opportunities. You know, commissions c- 
keep you in the game, you know, but, right. but producer fees can change your life, you know? And when I mean change your life, you're, then it's like you're buying a house or it, it, it can be a big lifestyle change if you have like a big movie that goes and those fees start to come in. So, you know, yeah, there's dollars and cents, but again, I, I never put any of that in front of the client and I always make sure that it's it, whatever the scenario is, it's going to be the best thing for the client. Right. That's, that's, that's my philosophy. Gotcha. Um, now, what do you look for a new client? Other than obviously a great piece of material. One of two things. I look for like a voice, you know, like an X factor, something that, wow, like only this, I'm reading this and as I'm reading this, like I've never read anything quite like it. Oh, you know, this person has a very fresh new voice and, and, and even if it's, if it's a script I can't tell, it doesn't matter because I, with a, with a voice, that's someone who can book open write assignments, you know, sure. voices get hired because studios, producers, who are, you know, studio execs, they want, you know, that unique kind of X factor on the, the IP or like some, they, they want someone, a writer who brings something new to the table. Um, so I look for voices. And then of course I look for feature specs that I can go out and sell because nothing jumpstarts, a writer, a new writer's career more than a big, hot spec sale or even a small spec sale. A spe, you know, spec sales really get a writer off to the races and generate meetings and generate opportunities. So I look for a spec that I can go wide with and sell, or I look for just a hell of a writing sample slash voice that I know will break into the open writing assignment game. Right, right. Now, what, what goes into that determination of whether something is, you know, this is a great script, but we're going to go out with it as a writing sample versus how, you know, this is either ready for going out with wide as a spec or what can we do to get, what goes into the determination of what you're going to send out as a spec? You know? mm -hmm. Look, a wide spec, you know, it, like, where you go to, you know, 30 to 40 producers in one week, and then hopefully the best of those 30 to 40 producers takes them to the big major studios where they have deals, and then, you know, the financiers and, and the mini majors, you know, you cover all the buyers. You know, for a spec to go that wide, it's got to be a spec that has has a real shot at multiple territories, like something that's four-quadrant, mm -hmm. high-concept, um, franchisable, um, can be, you know, could be spun off character wise, can, can become a ride, can become a comic book, can become other things. You, you, you know, that transmedia, I know I'm using a lot of buzzwords, but <laughs> for something wide, 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 I mean, you know, I think Snow White and the Huntsman by Evan Dougherty, mm -hmm. one of my clients is a prime example of a big, big stack that checks all those boxes that you want to go wide and hard and, and find the best possible home that not only is going to pay top dollar for it, but is going to make the movie, you know? So that, that's the wide. And then, you know, look, there's sample, you, you go top to bottom as well, but it's different. You're not trying to sell it, sell it necessarily, but you're trying to get it to tastemakers and who will generate meetings. You know, it just depends on the material, but you know, you, you always kind of have that conversation with the writer of like, here's the strategy. We're going to start getting this out. We're going to generate some meetings. You know, you're going to get some high-level meetings and 
it's going to turn into assignment opportunities. But, you know, the wide spec, you know, like, hey, we're, we're slipping this to some big producers on a Friday for the weekend, and then we're, we're going freaking gangbusters on Monday, you know. We're, right. we're bombing it out, and we're going to go big. And, and you, everyone knows the plan, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, look, there's never one way to do anything. A lot of times something you thought was just a sample, and you slip it to three big producers, and all of a sudden they want to take it into studios, and so you go wider, you know. Right. Some things go viral, and you ride the wave. You ride the heat. Right, right. So it's very, I'd say it's a very organic process. There's no one way to do it. And it's like very much like, you know, let the material drive kind of like, the material can change the strategy, you know? Right. Something something you think you are going to go bombs out like 40 to 50 production companies. And then you do the weekend slip and everyone passes and it's like crickets. I mean, then you're not going to just, bomb it out you know you're going to pull it back you're going to address the notes you're going to address the feedback and then you're going to be a little more surgical you know you're going to be like hmm who is the perfect producer for the material who can get this to some directors like let's pull it back and package it you know right right so it's all kind of like a a flow and, and I just believe in being organic and and kind of like taking it as it comes but Sure. There, there's ones where you know you're going wide, and there's ones where you know you're more like tastemaker slips. Sure. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, just out of curiosity, um, how many queries do you think you get in an average week, and how many actual script read requests do you probably, on average, take? Queries in a week, maybe a dozen. Okay. Average. <clears throat> Look, I. Uh, to be honest, I read the title log line of every query I get. You know, mm-hmm. it's an email. I'm sitting. I get to my lunch early. I'm flicking through my phone. You know, it's it does it takes five seconds to read a title log line. So I always do it. So writers should know. If they're emailing me, not hearing back. I read their title log line, right? And I I did not want to read it because mm-hmm. they didn't hear back from me. You know, right? And I'd say on like like look, I requested to read one today. Some guy queried me this morning from Chicago and. It was a cool, it was a very nice query, like, was complimentary of, like, you know, me as a manager, which is always nice, mm-hmm. <laughs> a little ego stroke. And then he had a very tight, like, cool, like, thriller title and logline, and it mm-hmm. sounded cool, and I requested to read it. Now, over the years of requesting to read queries, people I've worked with is maybe, like, less than five, mm-hmm. so, but there are a couple people that... I've, I've, we found each other over a query, you know? Right, right. But like I said, out of probably thousands of queries and maybe a hundred requests, there's maybe like three writers I'm working with. So it's, you know, it it can happen, but it's rare. Right. No, no, I gotcha. I gotcha. But I always read them. I always do. Um, And talking about just for just using this um, writer from Chicago as an example, um, how important is it? for a screenwriter to be in Los Angeles? If you want to have a career in screenwriting, I'd say you almost have to. If you want to just sell, you have one spec and you want to try to get it out there, you can live anywhere. But once the spec sells, if you want to sustain a career, you got to be here, you got to take meetings, you got to be available because what happens is meetings get rescheduled, 
So you, you think, oh, it's cool. I can live in North Carolina and fly out for two weeks and line up some meetings. Sure, but you know the meetings are going to get reshuffled. They're going to get scheduled. The good meetings, you're, you know, you're going to fly back and miss. So, and then what happens is once you really get in the mix, studio executives, producers call and they go, hey, can you get him in here Thursday? We want to talk to him about something. Or after you do a, you know, a lot of writers, I've worked with guys who live in New York. I've worked with guys who live in Northern California. They do the preliminary call on an assignment or an opportunity, and it goes well. Well, the next step is we've got to get in the room. So, sure, the guy, you know, the Northern California guy is like, oh, I can just drive down for stuff. But you know how many times he's been driving down to L.A. and he's halfway here, and then right before lunch I get a call, oh, we got to reschedule. And then i got to call him and be like, you got to turn around. I mean, it's, it's a pain in the ass, you right. know. Right. It sucks. So, look, if you're just looking to sell one spec and cash a check, you can live anywhere. If you want to have a career in screenwriting, you got to be in L.A., at least for, like, the first five to ten years. And then you can, like, if you, if you do turn the corner and you become a career guy and you become a big writer, sure, you can, you can live in Colorado and write your scripts, but you got to come to L.A. and do the meetings and you almost got to have a place here. You got to have like an apartment here and be here half the year, you know? Right. Right. I, that's what I believe. Right. No, I gotcha. Um, makes sense. Um, now what do you think, like giving advice to a screenwriter, what should they look for in a potential rep other than the you know, desire to sign them? Sure. If I'm a writer, I'd want my manager to be very passionate about my material, you know, and you can't fake passion. Um, you, you want someone who's all in, who's like, I love this. Even if I send it out to a hundred places and get a hundred passes, I'm going to keep going. You know, you want someone who's going to keep going. Um, and who's going to hustle and who's going to talk to you a lot and who's going to throw opportunities your way and who's going to like read quickly and, and give you notes and develop your material. And, and above all, someone's just going to shoot you straight. I mean, I'm ask anyone I work with, I shoot everyone straight, you know, because there's a lot of hot air and a lot of smoke and mirrors in this business. And there's a lot of bullshit, you know, and, you know, everyone, sh it's only fair that everyone should know like where they stand at all times. And, and so I'm that way with my clients. So you should have someone who just is a straight shooter. That's what I'd want if I was a writer. And that's the type of manager that, you know, I try to be. Right. No, that's cool. Um, what is, I wanted to touch base on something that I thought would be uh, an interesting, interesting topic. Uh, what is sort of the, the toughest, most proud sale you are? I mean, the, the, a script that, you know, was, was a challenge for you, but you were able to pull it out and, you know, make that sale that if you didn't go that extra step, that extra mile, that extra phone call, that extra email, that extra meeting, whatever may not have gone through. Is there anything like that? In your mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I can't take full credit because it was a lot of people's hard work, but there was a script called The Rabbit by a client, Micah Barnett. And look, this is one in Dan Lin and John Silk, who worked with Dan Lin at the time, they were producers on it. And it just, this thing, no one ever gave up on it. And the, the, the long and short of it is like, it started as a general meeting. Micah met with John Silk, who worked with Dan Lin. He pitched him this idea. John's like, called me, I love this, let's do this. So 
we developed as a pitch. We pitched Warner Brothers where Dan Lynn had a deal, and they passed. So then we, we you know, Mike expected it with, with Dan Lynn's company, and we took it back to Warner's, and they passed. <laughs> and then we, with the help of WME and his agent, Mike Asola, we got an actor on board, Chris Tucker, and, that, you know, and then we went back to Warner's, and then it was like Dan Lynn and Ari Emanuel and Mikey Sola and John Silk and myself, and it's just like we just didn't, never took no for an answer at this one studio where Dan Lynn happened to be exclusive with at the time, so we couldn't go anywhere else. Right. I think he's, I think he's non-exclusive now. But, so we just never gave up, and it was like three times we went in gun blazing, maybe four, I don't even, but it's like we never gave up. And it, it turned into a sale <laughs> and we set it up at Warner brothers with Chris Tucker attached. And so, you know, that, that was a hard one. And that was like all in, that was like probably two years, you know, right. from like that general meeting to like the sale where like every week we were working on this thing, whether it was a pitch, a spec, a spec again, then with a, with an actor who had notes. So we're doing drafts for Tucker <laughs> and you know, but Hey man, it turned into a sale and maybe someday the movie get made. It's in development. And it's just because none of us ever gave up and it would have been easy to give up many times. So I, I I am proud of that one. (laughs) Um, And by the way, major props to Micah, the writer who also never gave up. And he he probably did like 20 drafts of that thing. We're like, Oh, do just a straight action version. Oh, do a comedy version. Oh, do I mean, he he never gave up, man. He 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 wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and pitched his heart out. Right. It paid off. And that's probably twenty drafts after the ten drafts he wrote before he gave it to you. Oh sure. I mean, yeah. just think of his writer passes. Yeah. Yeah. There's probably two or three of those in between. So. And to be honest, you know, we're we're still working on that movie, getting it made. <laughs> so and we'll I'll never give up. I mean, yeah. it's a great it's a great script. It's a great concept. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Now, I know you signed um, the 2013 Nickel winner, correct? Legion. Yeah. The uh, yeah. Jean and Hedges. Yep. Yeah. Um, so as someone who signed, you know, the Nickel winner, as well as, you know, having multiple uh, writers on the blacklist and all this, what's your take on screenwriting competitions? Um, you know, for aspiring screenwriters, how important is that? How good is that i mean how much of a career boost is something like the nickel fellowship or the blacklist things like that yeah i mean look those are two of the best there's no question if you if you're a nickels winner and there's usually 10 winners i believe Mm -hmm. um that's huge trust me every meaningful management company and agency and producers and then eventually studio execs in town are going to read those top 10 i mean you will get the reads and so, you know, you'll get representation. You'll get great representation out of that. And the same goes for the blacklist. I mean, you know, but the blacklist, there's, there's two different blacklists now. Sure. There's, the, there's the scripts that get on the blacklist in December that are voted on by the community. Most of those are repped, you know. Mm-hmm. Most of those managers and agents found, you know, and got them going that year. And that, that became a hot sample or a, something that got sold and it hadn't been made yet. But, you know, it, that, that, that was a year of heating up those scripts and those writers. Um, on the flip side, the, you know, the blacklist, the new kind of version that is writers can self-submit and then get rated that, you know, that, that works as well. I've found some scripts on there. Um, 
you know, look, but it's different than the, the blacklist is sure. voted on by the community. But I think both are great. They just kind of are different, you know. But if, but if you get on the blacklist voted on by, you know, the community, the big blacklist at the end of the year, that's huge. I mean, top ten's huge. Just being on the list is huge. I mean, that, that goes on your resume. You're now a blacklist writer, and every time that script is submitted, it's going to be in the cover letter. And the town really responds to that, you know. And same with the nickels, you know, top ten. So, yeah, there's some, there's some, those are the two probably biggest in my opinion, and and certainly very meaningful. Right, right. Um, do you have any um, specific in terms of common mistakes that uh, young aspiring screenwriters make? Yeah, it's one of two things that are immediate red flags for me, and it's like they're either the writer that has one script and one script only that they're obsessed about and you know whether it's good or great or just a sample you know you, of course you scripts serve two purposes let's sell it and get it made or you know it's a sample that gets you into rooms and hopefully brings opportunity mm-hmm. but you know when that script is not selling then the writer needs to write another script as a writer you're a screenwriter you should be writing scripts you should be mm-hmm. generating something new every 6 months or at least once a year, whether it's a pilot or spec. So, you know, the, 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 I find the, there's a lot of young writers, they get obsessed with their one script, and they're like, what's going on with that script? What's going on with that script? And, you know, you can't just, like, align the stars. Like, they're going to align when they want to align. So right. you, you're out there jamming it. they got to write a new one, you know, while I'm doing my best to get that script sold and made. Um, the best thing they can do is go write another one. So... And then on the flip side, you know, there's the writer that comes along who's like, I have eight, um, maybe that's, that's, but it's like, I have five scripts, all different genres. Right, right away, I'm like, there's no way. There, there's no writer that writes great horror, great comedy, great sci-fi, and great action. I mean, right. it's just like, it's, you know, maybe David Benioff can do that. <laughs> right. I, but I, or Sheldon Turner, there's like a couple guys, Scott Frank, you know, but it's like, most writers, they're great in one genre or like, you know, sci-fi action whores. There's an interchangeable genres, but that's a rookie thing. I just, people query me or people are like, yeah, I got the spring break comedy. I got the supernatural whore. Then I'm working on a drama. It's like, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> like, please don't. Yeah. Right. Um, now, what do you advise for a client who is, um, interested in television, uh, you know, obviously back in the day writing a spec, what usually meant having a spec of a television series that's oh, like, going. Yeah, you, 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 you replicate a show you like. Right? right. And now it's obviously, you know, everyone wants uh, original pilots. Um, yeah. What do you consider uh, like an appropriate amount of screenplays for an aspiring television writer? Is it one pilot, original pilot and one spec? Um, do they have to have more than that? Is, is a feature good enough? I think for TV, if you're solely interested in TV, then you need two original pilots. Mm-hmm. Um, no one reads specs anymore, like, like spec pilots, like as in, you know, like, oh, I'm going to write an episode of Entourage, or I'm going to write, you know, a, a Modern Family, or I'm going to write Breaking Bad, whatever the hot show is. No one, no one 
read, wants to read those anymore. Um, people want originals. And I think if you have two originals, like if you want to be an hour-long drama person, then write two hour-long dramas. If you want to be a comedy person, write two half-hour comedies, one multicam, one single cam, you know. And then for the hour-long dramas, write one network, one cable, you know. Write one, you know, which the cables obviously can be edgier. Um, just have two. Have those. Have one for cable, one for network that can serve as samples for staffing or sales, something you can package and sell because more and more TV is, is buying up original pilots. You know, it's, it's kind of going that way and there's right. been some big sales lately. So, right. so that, that would be my advice. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, now, it, it, Fox recently came out and said, you know, they are no longer having a traditional pilot season, which obviously hasn't been the case in cable, but with one of the big networks, Doing that, does that change um, from your perspective or from your client's perspective the marketplace at all? No, because it's too early to know what that means. I mean, maybe that's just my me being naive, but I because that could be a good thing. That could maybe mean that Fox Network, you know, broadcast not cable, is open all year. They'll, they'll hear pitches all year. They'll right. read original pass all year. That's a good thing because right now. You know, TV is very much like, you know, pitches start in July and they go through maybe like the end of September, maybe the first week of October. And then they decide which pitches they're buying and then they commission the scripts and the scripts come in the first week of January and they decide what goes to pilot. And the pilots come in right before up front and then they decide what goes to series. And so then that's great because there's a schedule, there's a rhythm, there's a flow for broadcast. But hey, man, if Fox Network broadcast wants to be open all year round, that's good too. Why not? Yeah. You know? Um, and then the other guys can be traditional. So to me, I'm not spooked by it. I'm not like super psyched about it because I, I'm not completely sure what it means yet, but if it means that the doors are going to be open all year, that's great. You know, right. um, if it means they're going to make less pilots, that's not great. <laughs> right. Um, if it, if it means they're going to buy less pitches, not great. <laughs> so that, that could be the case and that's going to be a bummer, but then you know what? It's going to be like the movie businesses now. They're not just going to buy everything and see what happens. They're going to buy stuff to make it. Mm -hmm. So, sure, it's going to be hard to sell, but if you sell to Fox, you have a much better shot of that going to pilot, you know, right. and possibly series. So, good and bad, you know? Right, right. I got you. Um, now, we've got a few listener questions that I want to throw at you and see what you think. Mm -hmm. um, somebody wrote, would you rather sign a client with a single script that seems easy to sell or a script that seems like a tougher sale but shows real talent. So is this like a, a easy spec sale versus like a voicey is, sample? Yeah, that's what it sounds like. I mean, both are great, <laughs> but which would I rather? Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Um, look, I, I, I guess I'd rather sign the voicey sample because spec sales are great, and it's one of the funnest parts of the business. But you know, I'm I'm not just about like let's sell a hot spec, be one and done, and like on to the next. I mean, you know, I'm in the career business, so I'd rather have the voicey sample if I had to choose, and 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 really like, you know, get someone's career going that way. You know, even though the specs are a lot of the hot spec sales are a lot of fun. <laughs> right. <laughs> I want I want them both for the record, but. If I had to choose, I'd, I'd go the voicey sample. Right, but if you did not, you just sign both, right? Yeah, I'd sign yeah. both. <laughs> I do both. I, I'm a spec guy and I'm a sample guy. Awesome. 
Um, now, here's another one. Does budget matter in a spec script? Is it harder to sell a big-budget screenplay versus a lower-budget one? The game now, if you're going to if it's big-budget, it's got to be, like, IP, public domain, you know? It's got to be it's got to be a known brand. It's got to be something everyone knows, if it's, if it's over 100 mil. If it's a total original, it's not, like, you know, just based on a historical figure or something we already know, then... Yeah, don't I'd keep it tops 45 50. 50. I'd go 50 and under. But for the 100 million plus, which is the big Warner's Paramount Fox, you know, make it about something we know. You know, Night at the Museum, you know, make it right. make it fun, four quadrant and like relatable and you know, and then you can do 100 million plus, but if it's a no brand, no like new everything, 50 and under. Right, right. And it is important, believe me. Gotcha. Um, and then here's one that says, uh, how long is too long of a query and how short is too short? Too long is anything over high, you know, I'd like to present my new screenplay, title, logline, look forward to hearing, hearing back from you, boom. Anything over that is too long. Mm -hmm. Too short, you know what? The, the queries that I'm just like, what, what is like when they, they write, Hey, I'd love to send you my latest screenplay. I look forward to hearing back to you. Too short is when the log line and the title is not in the query <laughs> because I'm not going to reply. What's the title log line? Like, no, you lose. Like, you know, so the, if you don't have a title and log line in it, then it's too short, but keep it short and sweet. You know, I mean, we, we're all so busy and we get hundreds of emails every day. So like, quick, quick to the point and, you know, say something nice and then get into it. And then hopefully it's, it's, it's a good, clever hook. Right. Cool. Um, now the last section we have, cause I know we're running short on time is rapid fire. Just a few quick, simple questions that I'd like to throw sure. at you. Your favorite lunch spot. Uh, I'm a La Scala guy in Beverly Hills. <laughs> cool. Um, favorite quote. Hmm. Favorite quote. I don't know that I have one. Okay. Um, this year's best picture. What what I think should be? Yeah. Mm -hmm. My favorite movie? Yep. I mean, I really dug Wolf of Wall Street, but I, oh. I think it has a slim shot. But that would be my pick. Right. Um, and then lastly is, uh, in honor of the Winter Olympics, your favorite Winter Olympic event or sport. Mm. I guess like the downhill. Eh, you know what? I don't know. Speed skating, maybe. Short track or regular track. Regular, but then again, I like the figure skating too. I gotta be honest. I think it's exciting and dramatic. The figure skating. Right. I'll go. Uh, you know, but but I look. I like the downhill ski. I like the bobsled. I like the hockey. But figure skating, I guess I'll go. Cool. Um, oh, actually, I had a side question that I thought that someone had asked me, but I didn't add it to this interview. What types of genres, uh, subject matters should aspiring writers, I mean, if they're passionate about it, they're going to write it and that's fine. Yeah. But yeah. if they can stay away from certain genres or, or subject matters, what should they stay away from? Stay away from Westerns. 
Um, political thrillers are fine, but political comedies, I wouldn't go. Um, uh, sports movies, sports dramatic movies, dramas in general. Just is a look at this. These are spec scripts from a new writer. Um, I would avoid. Um, uh, yeah, western sports, dramas, musicals, and then anything real period that's not like popcorny, like you know, World War Two, like but but no like you know magical popcorn twist on that. You know, something that's just like. Too too period too boring you know right. and not a big well known historical event you know that right. would avoid so that's spec scripts of the new writer I mean so those happen to be by the way those genres happen to be some of the greatest films of all time sure but sure from a spec script from a new writer trying to break in write something contemporary you know right. write an actioner write a comedy write a horror just fastball contemporary like grounded not too many rules, you know, a lot of people try to do big sci-fi in the future, and it's just, it's a lot to, lot to manage, and it's a lot to bite off, and it's a lot to sell someone, like, there's this world, and, like, here are the new rules, and right? now it's like, ugh, you know, like, new writers should just write something contemporary, grounded, you know, simple, like, right. don't, don't, don't cut out more work for yourself, you know, don't, you don't have to go off and do tons of research, you know? Right. Write something that is like today. We, the rules are set. We know the rules today. We know how it works. Boom. That's, that's set, you know? So then the, the one leap of faith, you know? The guy throws the coin down the wishing well and it comes true. It's like in our world. So there's one magic, but that's it. Just one. Everything else is as we know it. <laughs> right. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. I got you. <laughs> Uh, Well, that's all the time we have for now. Thanks for joining today, Jake. All right. Thanks, man. That was fun. Great interview. You can follow Jake on Twitter at JakeWagnerLA. And please visit our website at scriptsandscribes.com for more information on all of our guests, archived podcasts, and lots of other great written interviews and information on writing. And if you have questions about the craft or business of writing, you can send us an email to ask at scriptsandscribes.com or send us a tweet to at scriptscribes. There's no and in the middle there just at Scripts Thanks for listening.